What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Saturday Six Podcast. We are back to recap a great slate of games for week two. Going to touch on the six games that we picked last week against the spread. I am AJ here with my brother, Tyler. What's going on, man? What a day it was Saturday, too. I think a lot of these games uh, lived up to the hype. I think a lot of them were better than we expected. It was an exciting Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I think we did pretty good picking these games. Um, I'm not going to complain. There was a lot of good action. We had two 12 o'clock kickoffs, two 3.30 kickoffs, and two nightcaps. So we were able to kind of split our attention a little bit and really focus in on all of these games. Before we get to those, just want to remind you guys, if you would, please give us a follow on social media at Saturday6Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We appreciate that if you're doing it. Go ahead and give us a like, give us a rating, give us a follow, turn those notifications on on your podcast platform. We appreciate that if you're doing it. And without further ado, we'll go ahead and jump into those six games that we picked last week. Want to quickly touch on all of these and give you our thoughts from the action that went down on Saturday. The first game that we picked, Old School Rivals. We had Nebraska going on the road, first home game for Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffs, who are now ranked in the top 25. It was a noon kickoff last week, and the Buffs end up winning this one 36-14. We kind of talked about, will Nebraska be able to get enough going on offense to fend off this potent Buffalo's air raid? And... Early on in the game, they were able to. It was a very close game, very low-scoring game in the first quarter and really the first half. Um, But in the end, uh, just too much talent for Colorado. Quarterback Shador Sanders, Travis Hunter playing over 100 snaps again. Just a little too much for Nebraska in this one as uh, the Buffs prevail. 36-14. to What were your thoughts? Yeah, Colorado looked good again. Um I know people are going to be talking Shadur Sanders, Travis Hunter for Heisman. You know, slow the talk down a little bit. Still kind of early in the season, but they did ball out a little bit slow in the first half. They weren't really able to figure out Nebraska's defense. And then the defense for Colorado, I think you touched on it last podcast. You know, their front seven on defense looked pretty soft. I think you predicted that very well. But on the other side for Nebraska – This team has no offense outside of their quarterback, Jeff Sims. I mean, the guy's their running back. He's their quarterback. They can't throw the ball well at all. And then that just leads to Nebraska's defense being on the field all day long. And, you know, when you do have uh, Shadur Sanders on the other side throwing to, you know, all the weapons that he has that we've learned that, that he's got on that offense, I mean, Slow start, but the second half got away from the Nebraska very quickly. Well, and it was just turnovers, right? Like Jeff Sims, you know, you bring him over from Georgia Tech, and that's really – there weren't a lot of great options in the transfer portal as far as quarterbacks go. And Nebraska might have got one of the stinkier ones because <laughs> uh, just 
turnovers left and right for Mr. Sims. You're not going to win ball games like that, especially against a prolific offense like Colorado is. Um, they they're going to have a tune-up game this week against Colorado State. They should easily win that one. But then there's two big showdowns back to back. They're going to face off against Oregon and USC in the next three weeks. So we may see that Colorado hype train build a little bit more before it kind of derails off of the tracks. I don't expect them to win uh, those games against the Ducks or the Trojans, but we shall see. I didn't expect them to be sitting 2-0 and either, so uh, You're right. we'll, we'll hang on to that one a little bit. Um, Nebraska's got a lot to work on as they start the season 0-2. I'm still on the Colorado hype train. I just think we need to slow it down just a little bit and temper expectations that way we're not too disappointed but they are a very good looking team yeah I, I think a bowl game is in reach I think six seven wins is is you know definitely possible I think you start talking about eight nine ten wins that's where I'm, I'm gonna tap the brakes a little bit but I tend to agree Headed to our next contest that we picked last week, we had number 10 Notre Dame. They are going on the road to face off against a pesky NC State team. It was a noon kickoff, and this one was all Irish, man, like we predicted. Seven and a half, not nearly enough. Final score, 45 to 24. What can you tell me about this Notre Dame team, man? They look like they're actually legit. I mean, NC State is a formidable foe, um, at least higher quality than what Notre Dame had faced to this point in the season. That front seven for NC State is actually pretty legit, but um, there's just definitely not enough to slow down Estime and Hartman and and all those weapons that Notre Dame has behind that big offensive line. Right. This game got delayed a little bit, so if you did stick around to watch it once it resumed, um, you saw exactly what we expected. NC State doesn't have a very good offense whatsoever, and Notre Dame's looks very impressive once again. Sam Hartman looks like the seasoned veteran quarterback that Notre Dame thought that they were getting in the transfer portal. I was very impressed with Notre Dame's defense once again. I think that their secondary is a pretty capable group back there. You know, it was hard to gauge them as far as like they're playing Navy. You know, how much do you take from that? But I mean, this is a power five school. This is an ACC school. Um, and Notre Dame, they have, I saw the statistic. I think you read it out to me on Saturday. They have dominated the ACC over the past couple of years since they've been playing yeah. uh, more ACC opponents. Um, but this is a very well-rounded Notre Dame team. I think, you know, a, a top 10 team is very much deserving for them. I, I think they look good. And we're back to hating NC State. I got to <laughs> do it. Yeah, it's the same story as that Nebraska team. When it comes down to it, Brennan Armstrong, that quarterback for NC State, is just not electric enough with his arm. Now he's going to make plays with his feet, but he still like still really wasn't able to even take advantage of this Notre Dame defense in that way. Four turnovers on Saturday, just not going to get the job done when you're throwing three picks and and fumbling the ball. So um nc state i think they are a solid team i think they are in that middle tier of the acc but just not nearly enough to hang with this notre dame squad um, they continue to dominate and they'll have a lot of a few uh big matchups here coming up soon so we'll we'll be talking about the fighting irish a lot more this season Moving on, let's talk about the one matchup that we were both wrong on, and I don't think this should count. I'm just going to put it out there. When the starting quarterback of a team 
who is clearly their best player, goes down an hour prior to kickoff. I think we should be able to null and void this from the record. But nevertheless, we had number 20 Ole Miss going on the road to face off against number 24 Tulane, the Green Wave. It was 3.30 on Saturday, and we were expecting a really good matchup. We were both on the side of the Green Wave. We thought that they would cover that 7.5-point spread, although we thought Ole Miss would win the game. And we find out prior to kickoff that Michael Pratt, Tulane's returning quarterback coming off of a great year last year, is not going to be able to go. And we both looked at each other and said, well, there goes that Tulane pick. (laughs) Just with the backup quarterback, it was just never going to be enough. And um, that is the truth as Ole Miss wins that game 37-20. to It was a good game early. I mean, like first half, first three quarters was really competitive. And then Ole Miss pulled away there late. Just uh, not enough on offense for Tulane. Yeah, I I thought it was still a very good game. I think Tulane's backup quarterback came in and, you know, really showcased his abilities and – you know, he's no Michael Pratt. Not having Michael Pratt does hurt Tulane big time. I think he's probably a 10-point difference maker in this game from what I saw. Um, but their backup quarterback was good. I, I think they're in good hands if uh, Pratt has to be out another week or so. Yeah. Uh, Tulane was able to stick around. Uh, it kind of looked like in the fourth quarter that what it was is Ole Miss roster depth started to show a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you know? warmed when, down a little bit. When you're talking about, I mean, it's hot down there uh, on the two-lane field. They play on turf, so it gets even more hot, you know, and you start getting players that are cramping and, you know, getting injured. I think the depth of the roster for Ole Miss really showed and helped them. Um, I was impressed with Tulane's defense, though. They had a solid uh, game for the most part, and they had all the answer answers for Kenshawn Judkins. Yeah. And we were talking he was going to be a difference maker for this old team, this old miss team. And he still will be throughout the season. This Tulane team had the answers for him. He was very limited in the impact he was able to make for the Rebels. Um and I think that that kind of helped Tulane stay in it when their offense wasn't clicking as well in the second half. Yeah, I I, I mentioned to you a few times on Saturday that I thought the Tulane front seven was uh, kind of causing problems for Ole Miss. They played a lot better than I expected them to. Um, they were really able to slow down Judkins, like you mentioned. I think they came into that game thinking, we're going to load the box. We're going to stop Judkins. We're going to neutralize him as a threat. And we're going to make Jackson Dart and these transfer wide receivers beat us. And credit Dart. I thought he played one of the best games that I've seen him play I'm hooking up with those transfer wide receivers time and time again and really kind of putting the team on his back you know leading touchdown drives there in the second half when Tulane just like we said it was just stuff in the box and and really not allowing them to establish a run game so I came away from this um, impressed with what Jackson Dart was able to do when he had to kind of put the team on his back to win this game. All right, let's go ahead and move on. We had another great matchup. Two teams that really needed a win to kind of get some momentum headed in the right direction here. We had Texas A&M going on the road, headed down to South Beach, face off against the Miami Hurricanes. It was 3.30 on Saturday. 
and <laughs> it's so funny. I feel like we can never predict these things, but uh, we said that this might be a little bit of a snoozer last year, 17 to nine, not a whole lot of points being scored, you know, <laughs> real, real dirty rock fight of a game. Nope. Plot twist. Miami and Texas A&M combined for almost 90 points. So, uh, I mean, just uh, a great game back and forth. Miami pulls away there in the fourth quarter to win 48-33. to 33. Texas A&M looked like they had a shot for a good majority of this game. They were actually leading there um, in the first half, but it was turnovers that kind of did them in, um, you know, just, just not able to – to hang in there with Miami. Miami really capitalizing when they needed to. And that quarterback, Tyler Van Dyke, we said he must be better than he was last year. And he was that and much more. I think this was probably the best performance that I've seen Van Dyke put together since 2021 when everybody first started hearing his name pop up. So uh, really impressed with the Miami quarterback and what they were able to do against a Texas A&M team that, is just reeling right now i mean it's going to be a long year for jimbo fisher and company if they don't get this ship right quickly and we may even see a new head coach in there or an interim head coach before the end of the season if this is the way things are going to look for the aggies yeah it was funny we were watching the game and at some point in the fourth quarter you turned to me and asked you're like i know you picked miami to win but you weren't predicting this right by all means i was not uh, Miami probably played the best game that they're going to play this season, you know, and it was a quality opponent. So we'll give them the props for that, but I, they played very sound football for the most part. Uh, I like what they were able to do. Tyler Van Dyke. I mean, that, that combo of him and the wide receiver Restrepo. Yeah. I mean, they are a pretty dynamic duo. They're going to be able to find a lot of success on the football field this year. Um, I liked what they were able to do, and you touched on it. It's written down in my notes. I'm calling for it now. Texas A&M needs to start looking for their new guy. I think I think they got to start looking elsewhere. Jimbo's, Jimbo's not that guy. I mean, he's he's going to get you a bowl game every year, but at what point are is a program not satisfied with getting to a bowl game every year? Like, I, if you're in the SEC – and you're a larger school like Texas A&M, the expectation is going to the SEC championship. And if you can't produce that with the amount of talent that you're, that you have in your program and the amount of money that your boosters and, you know, NIL is getting you, then they need to start looking for somebody who can do that for them. I don't know who that is. I don't have all the answers, but I'm, I'm, Putting his head on a plate, I think that Texas A&M needs to, you know, maybe not come out with it, but they need to start shopping around and seeing who might be available next season, you know, after that interim head coach kind of leads them the rest of the way to their bowl game, you know, playing the Alamo Bowl or whatever it might be this year. Yeah, I mean, I think you just it's just way too much money for the results, right? Like you're paying this guy – millions and millions of dollars one of the biggest contracts we've seen for a coach you know he's got national championship prestige he's done that at florida state you're expecting that to carry over to Aggieland, and it just has not happened they have had recruiting success i mean they've been able to buy some recruits but 
it's just not worked out on the field. So it's going to be tough. The SEC West is tough every year. I think they can still win some ball games this year, but the way they looked against Miami, who I was not particularly high on headed into this game, um, gives me lots of cause for concern if I'm an Aggies fan. I wasn't high on this Miami team either. I don't think I still am yet. You know, could they be top three, four team in the ACC? Absolutely. But I think that's kind of their ceiling for them. I don't have them winning an ACC championship or going much further than that. But, you know, I do think that they're not a team to be slept on. I think that they have a really good chance at, you know, putting together a pretty impressive record this year. You like Miami or Clemson more? Dude, at this point, that's so tough to say. I mean, yeah, I've, I've seen better stuff out of Miami, but I'm never going to – I mean, like you said, what does ACC stand for? Another Clemson championship. Yeah. I mean, they know how to get it done. They know how to play in these big games. And, Hasn't looked pretty. You know, I, I don't like to put too much stock in one good win. I didn't want to do that with Colorado yet. I'm, you know – I don't want to do that with any other team yet. I, I think there's still a lot of football to be played this season, and we'll learn a lot more about this team in the coming weeks. Yeah, I think you're right. All right, let's head to the great state of Texas for our next matchup. We had the Oregon Ducks going on the road to face off against the Red Raiders. Texas Tech was a night kickoff, and we know some crazy things can happen in Lubbock at night. You know, that's so just... It's the way things tend to go. We were nervous about picking Bo Nix on the road. They were favored by six. We were like, oh, I think they got the talent advantage. Texas Tech didn't look good against Wyoming. I got to take Oregon, but I'm not too, not too confident about it. And we were sweating this one, let me tell you, Bo. I mean, Texas Tech takes the lead late, and Bo Nix – and that Oregon offense has just, just not looked great for the majority of that game. Let me see. It was 18 to 13 at half. And then Oregon doesn't score at all in the third quarter. Red Raiders put up another 14 points. And so it's looking kind of bleak for the Ducks at this point. And then some magic happens for Bo Nix. And he's able to lead the team down the field. Now, there, I was expecting a bigger game from Bucky Irving the running back, and it was just non-existent. The run game was not there outside of Knicks, but Knicks kind of threw the cape on and is able to get the job done. They're leading 31-30 to 30 at the very end of the game. Texas Tech has got the ball. Not, we're not covering. We're not covering at this point, and we've kind of accepted our fate. And then all of a sudden, Texas Tech quarterback Tyler Shuck becomes my favorite player so far in the college football season. As he throws a pick six, Oregon takes it back to the house for seven points. Oregon ends up covering final score 38 to 30. This is why we this is why we like spreads, right? Because if we just took Oregon to win this game, there's no intrigue in the last two minutes of that game. But no, we pick against the spread because this things like this happen. Yeah, man, this is it's hard to say, man. I've learned a lesson. Never trust Bo Nix on the road. He did not win Oregon this game. Oregon's defense won in this game at the very end uh, because Texas Tech was driving, and it looked like they might be able to put points on the board and possibly come away with this win altogether. Um, the last second pick six is just what saves the day. But, you know, 
yes, this is an 0-2 Texas Tech team, but I think what we saw out of them against Oregon, this could potentially be a contender in the Big 12. Do you agree? I mean, they their offense has what it takes. I'm not saying they're going to win the Big 12. You know, they've got some pretty stiff competition in Texas, uh, Oklahoma, you know, those types of teams, but they look better than they did against Wyoming, and it was a very promising outing for them. Yeah, you know, I touched on this in the last podcast. I, you know, Texas Tech was one of the kind of the dark horses, the dark horse picks in the Big 12 coming into this season. Everybody was on the Texas hype train. A lot of people liked Oklahoma over what they were able to do last year. But then it was sort of Texas Tech that was right there with the TCUs and the Baylors hanging around as a potential sleeper. And, you know, it it comes down to what are you able to establish as far as consistency on the offense, right? Like Tyler Shuck, he's a good quarterback. They're running that air raid system. They're going to throw the ball. You got to be able to sustain drives, right? Like if you go three and out and you're running this air raid, that's a quick three and out. Like your defense is getting maybe a minute on the sideline before they're back out on the field. And over the course of a game, like we saw against Oregon, that's just going to add up. You know, your defense is going to end up playing too many snaps and it's going to catch up to you in the fourth quarter. So I think Texas Tech has really got to be able to balance it out a little bit with a little bit of a run game and sustain drives if they want to be contenders in the big 12, because um, after losing Tyree Wilson last year, the defense is not as solid as they were. I still expect this to be a good team. They're going to make a bowl, but in order to compete in the big 12, they've got lots to work on as far as uh, maintaining success and maintaining long drives on offense. All right, let's finish up. We have one more game, and it was the game to talk about last week. Man, I mean, it was just everything we asked for and more. You had number 11 Texas going on the road to Bryant-Denny Stadium. We're going to face off against the Alabama Crimson Tide, the number three team in the country. Night game under the lights, and it was just an instant classic. Back-and-forth action. Texas is leading early. They start 3-0. They score 10 more points in the second quarter. Bama only scores six points in the first half now. So it's 13-6 to at half, and Longhorn fans are feeling good. And then that third quarter rolls around, and like we saw them do last year, they're able to get up in the first half, and then Bama scores 10 unanswered in that third quarter and takes the lead heading into the fourth. And I was like, man, I really thought Texas was going to be able to hang in this game. What do they do? They outscore Alabama 21 to eight in the fourth quarter, huge game from Quinn Ewers and those weapons on the outside. Alabama is just going to have to go back to the drawing board because it was not good. Not good at times. Jalen Milrow, the quarterback turns it over a few times The wide receivers were no help, like I predicted. The offensive line looked abysmal, honestly, compared to what they should have looked like. There's just so much talent there, and Milrow was being harassed all night. That Texas defensive front was just causing chaos. Final score, Longhorns upset the tie 34-24. to Like our boy Sam Ellinger said at the beginning, we're back. They're back, baby. They are back. These Longhorns, man. I mean, 
what can you say? This was just this was everything you wanted to see as a Longhorn fan, and quite the opposite if you are a Tide fan. Let me narrate to you just about every offensive snap for Alabama on <laughs> Saturday. The ball is snapped. Jalen Milrow. It's a low snap. It rolls on the ground. Right. Jalen Milrow gets the ball. He has time to make one read. The pocket collapses around him, and he runs for his life to the sideline for no gain to minimal gain. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, even when he had time in the pocket, he if his first read's not there, he's taken off running. I mean, this yeah. dude is a glorified running back. He's not capable of being a pocket passer. Yeah. which you got to have in that Alabama offensive system. It was um, either deep bomb or takeoff. Right. And the thing is with Alabama, it's okay to be a dual threat quarterback. They can make Jalen Hurts work. It's okay to be dual threat, but you have to have the ability to stand up in the pocket and make the throws that you need to. Their offensive line sucks. They, I mean, it, it's horrible. Yeah. Sacked have, five times. They have zero weapons. I mean, Jermaine Burton was the only light on offense they had. And, yeah, I'm a Georgia fan. He transferred from Georgia. He didn't look good last year. He doesn't look improved this year. Yeah. They, they got nothing. And, you know, while their defense has some tackling issues, I don't think they were getting a whole lot of pressure on Quinn Ewers. When you can't get pressure on a quarterback like Quinn Ewers, he is going to deliver the ball on target to the absolute just array of wide receivers and weapons that he has. Texas played an incredible game. They look very formidable. Um, yeah, they're back, and the dynasty's over, Bama fans. I mean, it's gone. It's it's not what you used to have. The talent isn't there. I, I think the coaching is kind of lacking. Very questionable offensive play calls at times i mean when you're running the ball twice and it's third and you know forever and then you're running a simple screenplay every single drive it's not enough to win you a football game yeah Te texas deserved this one the better team won on saturday that, that's just all it boils down to yeah texas is head and shoulders above alabama in terms of just who is the better football team that day yeah, and, you know, Alabama's got the four and five stars. That's not an issue, but they just didn't show up. I mean, there was no rushing attack whatsoever. I mean, outside of Milrow running for his life, McClellan wasn't able to get it going on the road. I think he averaged less than four yards a carry. And like I said, gave up five sacks. So even, even though Milrow was able to run the ball a little bit, his rushing numbers looked terrible because he got sacked a bunch through two interceptions. It was just – Horrid, honestly, uh, from the offensive perspective, not able to really get anything going outside of a couple of, you know, busted coverages where they were able to hit some bombs. But on the other side, this Quinn Ewers kid, I mean, 350 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, no sacks. I mean, he fumbled the ball once, but aside from that, just played an absolutely perfect game. We talked about the weapons that he has. I mean, A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, those guys are just really untouchable on the outside. So some of the best weapons in college football, as far as a one-two punch goes for yours, I think 
like Michael Jordan said, the ceiling is the roof for this Texas team. I mean, it's just as far as their potential, it's there. They should be able to run the table in the Big 12. That's going to be the question, right? Like, we've wondered when can they win this big game, and now it's going to be avoid losing to the Texas Techs, avoid losing to the Baylors, avoid losing to the UCFs or, you know, the, whatever, those middle-of-the-pack Big 12 teams that you should be beating. That's what we're going to have to see on a week-in, week-out basis to to really confirm whether or not Texas is back. But this was definitely a step in the right direction. And, you know, I, I think it's things going it could potentially be a season that ends in a college football playoff berth if they play to the potential that we saw on Saturday night. I think that's definitely possible for the Longhorns. Yeah, I completely agree. And I'll end with this. All, all props and credit to Texas, but – at the end of the game, and, you know, Nick Saban's, you know, made a history of making up excuses of why they lose. This was the most piss-poor game I've seen an Alabama football team put together in quite some time. I mean, they've had losses, but they haven't had such a poorly executed game in so long. And then afterwards, Nick Saban goes to the press conference, and it's not, you know – this was a terrible effort. This is what we need to fix. This is what we got to go do this week in practice to prepare for next week and, you know, be better than we were today. It's, well, I'm grateful for the fans. I'm grateful for the boosters. You know, it, it, it kind of sounded like he had a foot out the door there for a little yeah. bit and Tail he, tucked. and he's on his apology tour and, you know, it kind of sounded like Saban's, you know, that game kind of made him realize just a little bit more that his time's coming to an end there. And, you know, that'd be something to watch for if it's true. Yeah, definitely a tail tucked between his legs kind of vibe there from Saban in that yeah. post-game press conference. But here's the thing, right? Like, this is not the end of the road for Alabama. It didn't look good. but Not this by any a, means. This was a non-conference game. And you have the entirety of the SEC still to run through. LSU has looked vulnerable. Texas A&M LSU is better. Texas A&M has looked vulnerable. I mean, okay. It's it's really kind of it's really kind of wide open still that SEC West. So, if you are able to run the table and get to that SEC Championship game, if Texas is what we think they are, this isn't a terrible loss on your resume. So, I think, you know, I'm going to be careful to overreact to this one. It didn't look good, but I'm not going to say that this season is completely a wash for Alabama. Now I'm, I'm not going to go that far. I think we I've seen Saban too many times kind of rally around an early season struggle game and get things pointed in the right direction. So um, it's an uphill battle, but definitely not over as far as the Crimson Tide are concerned. All right. That was our six from last week. We recapped them for you. We did well, man, five and one. Uh, straight up for you four and two straight up for me and we both go four and two against the spread so kind of figuring some things out here kind of heading in the right direction now alpha um, brother that's right well <laughs> for now it was four, <laughs> four and two against the spread for both of us alpha brother jackass all right tell the folks where they can find us we need some follows on the gram we got instagram at saturday six pod we got apple music we got Spotify. We got everywhere else that you can find podcasts. You will find us talking football every week. 
uh, six of the best games for the week. And then the recap episodes at Saturday six podcast, like us, follow us, share it with a friend and uh, just interact with some of the posts. Like we said last time, Uh, the the interactions go a long way as far as the algorithms and getting this out to more people so they can enjoy for my brother, Tyler, I am AJ, and this was another episode of the Saturday Six Podcast. We will see you guys again soon.